just filling me with joy we are still potable i'm jay king from the athletic he is brian b rob from mass live and today we have a beautiful podcast for you guys something we've been super excited to to release an interview with our moby dick evan turner the greatest interviewer nba interviewer maybe of all time just a hilarious guy an insightful guy a thoughtful guy and we had a lot of fun with Evan Turner, didn't we, B-Rob? Really did. I mean, expectations were pretty high, Jay, going into it. And he somehow surpassed them all. Like, this was uh, a dynamite 45 minutes where we, I feel like we covered everything from his career, his time with the Celtics, his view of the current Celtics, and just a ton of amazing stories along the way. He is very high on the current <laughs> Celtics. Let's just put it that way. He went back through his time with the Celtics and how they they kind of reinstilled his his joy of basketball how he and what he called I think a, a group of replacements kind of restored the Celtics to to a winning team and and started to turn them around so his insight was just phenomenal uh we won't talk about it too much here but for anybody who's listening to the free show just want to let you know, we are a Monday through fr Friday podcast. To join us, become a member at uh, patreon.com slash stillpotable. And you can either get a plan that lets you get three episodes per week or five episodes per week, plus bonus episodes sometimes when the Celtics have a good game on the weekends. We are the best daily Celtics podcast. And hopefully some of you will will want to sign up for that. But if you don't, then you'll be able to enjoy a snippet of this Evan Turner interview, the first third of it. For the rest of it, you're going to have to subscribe. And honestly, Evan Turner alone would be worth the price of subscription. The guy is the greatest quote in NBA history. And the big thing here, Jay, is if you go and you subscribe right now, patreon.com slash Potable, you can check us out. Give us for seven days. You can free sign trial. up. Free trial. You can... Listen to this podcast in full. You can listen to our past podcast, whether it's game analysis, other big time guests. Uh, it's all there for you to check out. And if you like it, we'd love to have you along for the ride. But definitely, this is a if you're ever if you've been thinking about joining it, especially with this point of the season, Jay, this is a a great time to hop aboard because business is only going to be picking up from here. And and this interview in itself, I think, is uh certainly worth it. Now we'll get to the interview. All right. It's still potable. Back again. I'm Jay King from The Athletic here with Brian Rob from Mass Live. And today we got our Moby Dick. We got the guest we've always wanted to have on the show, Evan Turner, the greatest interview of all time. 
one of my favorite Boston Celtics ever. Maybe my favorite Boston Celtic ever. Uh-huh. Appreciate you for coming on, Evan, man. Thank you. No, nah, I appreciate y'all having me, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Thank you. Uh, that's a hell of an intro because I don't uh I don't get the favorite Boston Celtic ever tag too me too often, especially considering who played there. So it's cool to uh you know I always but you, you were a part of the rise though. Yeah, like, yeah. You yeah, turned it the, around. Yeah, from the trenches, man. From the trenches. I and I didn't even take it personal when uh I helped rise up and then they shipped me off. You know what I mean? <laughs> But, they, they shipped you off. You you ran away for seventy some million dollars, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, no lie. But you know, you talk about those times back in the day, um, especially with the Celtics. It was super. Uh, those were some of my favorite moments in the league because you literally felt like you were kind of like you just stripped naked of everything. Like, you know, we didn't have like a, a a national TV game. You know what I mean? We had a yeah. team full of replacements and uh, no real. Uh, expectations to win so it's kind of cool to really see uh what you could do with a with a group of uh, leftovers i always thought that was pretty dope because to see how those guys went on to enjoy great careers and you know long careers to certain people that was like uh you know kind of like a crossroad to see if you're still going to make it or not you know and uh i'm glad we were able to make it out of that that, that part so that first year that was marcus smart's rookie year right yep yep and so you guys were pretty bad at the start of the year. Had no expectation. <laughs> and Rondo was on that team. And it was just kind of like nobody knew the vision for that team. Everyone kind of knew Rondo might be out. And then they traded him. Or it was an early trade. It was in December, right? Yeah. And and Crowder came on. I can remember Crowder. He was mad as hell because he, he was like, rebuilding <laughs> and he was yelling he, he yelled at Danny Ainge didn't he he came in and yelled at everybody like what was that process going like from like you said the leftovers so all of a sudden I remember you guys got hot right before the trade deadline and then you brought in Isaiah and just kind of took off the second half of that year and then the next year too I think the process one thing that occurs um when you don't have like much expectations, you can try out a lot of different things. And I think one thing that occurred, like as a unit, was like shit. I guess we might as well just listen to Brad and see <laughs> and see what he thinks. You know what I'm saying? And I think, uh, like I said, bro, you go back to that process, and there's a lot of uh, approaches that you had to take with you know humility, especially considering for me, like coming from like a number two pick and thinking even just a year before I was averaging you know close to 20 points per game. So when you were kind of sitting there, it was like that process was just like, yo, we all just got to trust each other. And literally, like, Brad would preach just do the mundane things that nobody else wants to do. And that was little things like win the second night of a back-to-back, you know what I mean? Make sure we win every game before, uh, you know, a Christmas break, all-star break. But um, I think the one thing that occurred was um, really comprehending, comprehending your new roles and, like, I just remember that year just being like, hey, bro, you're coming off the bench, know your role, and just starting your role. I think that was kind of just like a reset button and a new introductory for me to like to the NBA. And that was like just a different sound to see. And I thought it was pretty cool because you had a group of like, you know, uh, dudes trying to figure it out themselves. There was no, there was no secret that was going to be rebuilding. I mean, Danny Ainge doesn't work like that. Yeah. Mike Zarin doesn't work like those dudes aren't humble enough. To literally respect you and work like that, they're gonna be like, "No, these dudes suck. Like, like <laughs> these dudes suck, and like they're terrible. And, and and we can't. We're not bad this year because of us. We're bad because they suck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that was like 
one of those things where you just kind of like, okay, I, I got a, you know, I got my garden hose and I got, you know, some work gloves and it's time to, you know, buckle down. And that's really was the only choice you had or it was, you know, be unsuccessful and go overseas. And that was really, <laughs> that was really the, the, the two options. So it was, it was surreal and it was like humbling and it was, it was, it was, you felt undressed, but you know, some of the best moments is that because it's familiarity of uh, your back against the wall. You, uh, you said, I think it was that year, maybe the next year, you said that the playing for the Celtics gave you back your joy for basketball. Um, what what did you lose about that joy? What took that away from you? And then what about that situation gave that back to you, kind of kind of let you enjoy the game? No, I just, uh, you know, being a top pick or whatever occurred and things just didn't play out, you know, uh, being, you know, being – in the league or whatever, you know, dealing with some of like the trials and tribulations I was dealing with, it's, it's just basketball went from being a safe haven and not being fun. You know what I mean? And uh, sometimes you sit there and you're trying to shed the bus label or dodge the bus bus label. Like when you leave that house, you're recognized for basketball. And in response to basketball, it's like, it's negative, it's negative, it's negative. And, you know, as a human, every now and then you just want to be like, man, fuck that shit. I'm tired of like appeasing to a bunch of people or, you know, me whining, being like, well, shit, shit's not going away to help me be successful either. And I think at one point I was just at a draw with the game of basketball for the sake of just uh, my mental and just my emotion. It's like, I like the game, but like, it's like with a girl that broke your heart. You're like, man, I like her, I like her but I'm never going to literally jump out the window again Yeah. to, you know what I mean, do that. And that's how I kind of felt. My first day coming back to the Celtics, I remember just driving and just hoping it went well. And just being like, hey, this will be the start of year five. I told my people I'll try again and I hope it works out. And that was just me just going in white knuckling and not expecting anything. And uh, from there, I was able to find joy and happiness because, uh, you know, even though it's 10 years ago, the pressure can, uh, you know, succumb to a lot. And, you know, articles come out and when you're not, you know, when it takes time to get used to understanding that you blend in with the things you love with the bullshit that surrounds it. And I'm still learning on how to separate it. Uh, that, that was... I mean, for for Celtics fans, that was like such a fun time because you guys, it was the the year, the first year Brad was there. They went, I think it was twenty five and fifty seven. Yeah, and and then you came in the next year, and there was just no expectations, and it was just like everything was found money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it was like it was like oh. Oh, these guys are good. Oh, oh, Marcus Smart's a good draft Oh, Evan Turner came in and he's he's really doing his job in his role. And it was like Jay Crowder and Jonas Jarebko. Oh, those dudes can play in the front court together. Kelly <laughs> like, Olenek, Avery Bradley. It was like a it was a random group of dudes, but like it was dope to see like we were all cocks in the system and we need each other. And when Isaiah came, it was just like the easiest way to uplift the star and be like, hey, you do this, we do the rest of it. And uh what was cool is we were all comfortable. That's what was crazy. We were all comfortable. Like, when you saw Isaiah be a star, it's like, no, I felt like I was a star. Like, shit. Like, Isaiah was a man, but I felt like I was a star. I go look at Kelly O'Lennon. When he's walking the streets, you can't tell me he's not the star. When I look at Jonas Sharapico, he's a man. When you look at Jay Crowder, it's like, okay, that, that, he's a man, too. Like, we legit had a, a, a great environment where we all knew who we were. And, um... That shit was dope, man. That shit was beautiful to be part of, you know, and it's rare to really be part of. And uh, 
I can really say in certain instances when I look back on that, there's a reason why you overachieve in this mindsets and, uh, you know, compatibility like that. And we weren't a good team by any means. Not saying we were terrible, but, like, we just overachieved because we, we did things together and played for each other. I'm going to switch gears now a little bit uh, to something that, that might be a, a little tougher for you to talk about. Why did you duck Gordon Hayward in the pre-draft circuit? <laughs> bro, bro, because man, that the the, uh, the great white hope, man, I couldn't, I couldn't contain him. You see how athletic he is, bro. That, that you guys are sending one of your best. Let's just say that, okay? Gordon's six eight. He's got a handle. He's got bounce. Now I'm just joking. To be honest, it's so funny with some of those stories that that occur and like. It lets you know your agent is full of shit, like how much your agent lies. You understand what I'm saying? And um, I just remember going through that draft process, and a lot of people don't know. It's like when the balls drop. So I was supposed to be number one or number two pick. When the balls dropped, I knew I was either going number one or number two. So, like, my agent had literally talked to Philly, and I was like, Evan's not going lower than two, unless I can get Kobe or some shit. Like, we're taking out. <laughs> Whatever. And that's all I knew. I literally only went into, like, the Philadelphia 76ers workout and was, like, I shot 50 shots, and they made me shoot 14 threes, which is probably why you should evaluate players way further. That's it? They, that's all they had you do was bro, just crazy. Take 50 shots? And they, had, and they had two people with me taking shots in between so I wouldn't get tired. <laughs> so, 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 so. So that occurred. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm pretty sure I went to dinner the night before, <laughs> like everything. So I, I just kind of knew that was the, like, that was the case of like the preparation. The only person I wanted to play was uh, John Wall, and I comprehended he was number one. I think, like, with Gordon Hayward, he probably, their, their agents, probably Paul George and all those dudes are probably trying to send them in the workouts with me, which at the time, if you remove yourself back, like, why would Gordon Hayward be in a workout with me? Like, you know what I mean? And, then, and, I, and I that's not like bad or nothing. It's just like the truth. It's like what, like you might be in trouble at the time at that moment, having to decide between like me or Gordon Hayward back in March of 2010. It panned out way better for Gordon, of course. But it just, I mean, I would see Gordon on a regular and harass him, like literally, like before the draft. I would text him when I seen him, and legit, we never once talked basketball or anything. It's like legit, like. Me giving him a wedgie every time I ran past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did he say that on a podcast or something? Because I, I didn't. I didn't see what initially happened. I just saw you get mad at Gordon Hayward saying you ducked him. No, uh, he said on Paul uh, podcast P. And gotcha, you gotcha. know something? I'm a big. Uh, I was joking. A lot of this stuff. I know Gordon since we were 19 or 20. Yeah. That's where I first met Brad at. Uh, what was it? The Olympic uh, World University Games. So um, we met each other at uh, the Olympic training facility back in like 09. So Gordon and I, we always had a decent ribbon. And, uh, you know, we played versus each other a couple of times in college. And he's one of the, the people I respect a lot uh, in regards to the game. He had a tough injury. But, you know, Gordon's a point forward and uh, you could definitely see a talent. And he was he was a problem. Yeah, you respected him so much you couldn't couldn't play with him in the pre-draft process. And I, I was scared of him, man. I was, <laughs> that, he was dangerous, bro. You know what I mean? I grew up in the hood playing versus black dudes. A, a shark <laughs> white guy. That was my kryptonite. <laughs> uh, uh, so you coached the Celtics for a year. One, yeah. of, one of the shortest coaching stints in uh, NBA history. Just checking it out. 
<laughs> what made you want to get into coaching? And then what made you think like, nah, fuck this? To be honest with you, I just always thought I would just, you know, try to figure out if I liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I think the unique situation is just being like, who would I do that under? And to come back to the Celtics and, you know, Danny and them allowing me to do so uh, was cool. And, you know, Brad taking me under his wing and allowing me to do so was definitely cool. I think one thing that occurred that, uh, you know, besides the COVID moments that kind of like threw everything off, but, you know, I, I currently have a daughter that's uh, five. So to be a, a coach, we always tell these funny stories about coming in helping Pritchard or coming in rebounding for this person. Like when I was playing, I was just a talent. I show up for three hours a day, maybe do a little <laughs> extra. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're coaching, you're part of like the production, the breakdown, the cleanup, and everything. So eventually, this is where like the straw broke the camel's back. Was like my daughter came in town for like four days, and I probably only saw her like a span of like sixteen or seventeen hours type stuff. And I just remember sitting here like, all right, I made enough money. I've uh, done a decent amount. Like, if things fall through, I can take a break and literally just be transparent about that and just get myself together. Because what's uh, coming to the coaching side, you got to respect the coaches. That's a dark side, bro. And you're literally just burning the ship and going right in. And um, I think one thing that occurred was just, like, me figuring out, like, what level of capacity I can give give to that was, was everything. I just felt like um, – you know, to take a break when Brad was done, I was like, all right, I, I think I'll, I'll figure things out on my own for a second and, and just take a step back. But that was it. It, was not, it wasn't nothing, anything crazy, just me figuring out if I wanted to do it and being like, eh, not right now. Yeah, people people don't realize how much of a grind coaching is. And the it's, stress, man. I've seen some young dudes. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some young, good-looking dudes turn old quick, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's and respect to the coaches, bro. Much respect. Like, you are... When they call it the dark side, it's one thousand percent the dark side, and one thing you can count on is your fault from the players, everybody. Like you know what I mean? That's what yep. was kind of funny. You're like, damn, this is what you used to deal with coaching me, but <laughs> it's uh, it's cool though. And like I said, I was definitely blessed to always have an opportunity to come back and uh, work in a place like Boston, bro. It's, it's, I'm I'm hated a lot of places, and Boston likes me, so that's uh, that's that's a blessing. Yeah, that was that was devastating for us because that was the year that we weren't the media wasn't allowed to talk to to the coaches we weren't we weren't allowed at practices we weren't allowed into anything because of the covid and it was the one evan turner year when he was on the fucking bench <laughs> we, we could have been getting amazing quotes all year long and instead we were trapped upstairs waiting for waiting for our zoom calls with the superstars right i mean it was a good it, it was a good consolation prize don't you think yeah <laughs> Yeah, like, we uh, couldn't talk to half the team, though. That was the problem. Like, you could only talk to the stars. You couldn't even talk to the guys on the bench because you couldn't even get in the locker room to talk to them. Yeah, bro, that whole time was a little different. That whole time I was a was a lot of different. I mean, show that season was wild. Like, you know what I mean? Everybody just went to the crib early, basically. Like, you know what I mean? That wasn't – we damn near got swept by uh, the Nets that year. Right. Good yeah, thing Jalen so, got hurt that year, yeah. Yeah. So, we've talking you – know, you know, you played for Brad – you coached under Brad. We need to hear some some Brad stories at this point. You've you've gotten the full perspective of it. Is there something? Do you have a favorite like angriest moment you've seen him get? Is there just a special story you've seen? Whether you're either playing him as a coach, like what was your perspective from from both of those? Angles? I, I always just 
I just always highlight moments because so many people think Brad is like so unassuming, like a Lou for like some type of nerd. Like, you know what I mean? And I always, and I don't, I can see from like outside looking in, but when you get around him, it's like, no, he's very serious and he really do be standing on business. So like when you sit there, I'm like, damn, Brad, really? So Brad just said in the room he was going to do this and then he came out and did the shit, said the shit and looked the dude dead in his eye. So sometimes I'm like, oh, oh, snap. Like this is the thing that, that people don't see. All right. So to hear the rest of this interview with Evan Turner, which is awesome. The whole thing is awesome. He he doesn't stop producing gems. He goes over his relationship with Brad Stevens, some behind the scenes stuff with Brad Stevens, talks about what it was like coaching Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Might have said the Celtics are going to become the next dynasty. Might have said that. He absolutely said that. But you'll have to see why and and listen to the whole podcast. So again, to to get that, you'll have to subscribe on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash still potable. And hopefully you'll do it. If not, it's on you. It's on you. We, we have a free trial right now, so go check that out. And thank you for listening. Still